Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More about me at rajbalkaran.com. More importantly, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Radha Raghunathan. She is a, an author, critic, an independent researcher. Uh, she's also the director and general editor of the Adir Library and Research Center. We'll be speaking about uh, a fascinating uh, uh, translation work of hers uh, in the Wisdom Chariot. Um, um, Radha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So um, this work of yours, uh, could you tell us a bit about uh, the Wisdom Chariot, the, the, the Jnana Ratna? What is, this, what is this work in its original? Jnana Ratna translates as the Wisdom Chariot. John Bunyan has translated as the Celestial Chariot, but basically we take it as the Wisdom Chariot. It is a fantasy novella by the Tamil poet, writer, Subramanya, Mahakavi Subramanya Bharatiya. And then in this, he uh, takes, uh, the, the protagonist takes a fantasy ride to different worlds. And he re- relates his experiences in those worlds. This is the basic, the uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what is it, the spread of the whole work. It's a small work, but it has a lot of layers woven into it, literary, mythological, philosophical, social aspects. All of them are interwoven very subtly and uh, non-interferingly in this whole work. Can you say a word about the novelty of this uh, of this genre of this novella? Uh, say a word about whether or not this is uh, new. Other uh, other works like this in Tamil literature. Uh, it was uh, Subramani Bharatiar who was the first one to introduce this genre of uh, the novella. There is a Roman style of uh, writing short novels in Tamil. In Tamil, I mean. And it was known only to the Western readers until then. And uh, he was the first one to introduce it uh, to the Indian audience, especially in Tamil. So this is the uniqueness of Bharatiya because he was a multifaceted personality who was very widely read, both in uh, the Indian literature as well as the Western literature. And he was able to bring the Western thoughts into his Indian writings. Before we dive into some of the content, could you say a bit about the reception of his novel? Uh, Bardiar is widely read, well known. And uh, he was a, a patriot and a very fiery poet, a fiery writer who was welcomed by all. And even today, he was most quoted by all because he set the tone for the modern literature in Tamil the modern style of writing in Tamil literature. So he is, it's not as if people don't know about Bharatiya, but this particular book of Jnana Ratham is not as much well read 
or, as, or not as widely read as his other works are. Do, do you know why that is? You mean in Tamil, uh, it's not widely read. Do you know why that is? I think uh, it's because uh, there are too many uh, subtleties to be understood in this novel, though it is very enjoyable. Once people read it, then they will start enjoying the fantasy portion, the romantic, the romance of the whole novel. But uh, they may miss out on what he is trying to convey through his whole, uh, the whole romantic piece. So, what do you feel he's trying to convey? Convey? What do you think? What do you feel the central? It's obviously a complex work with lots of strands. But what do you feel the central thrust of this work is? For the layperson, it is an enjoyable ride into a, fan, a fantasy ride to different worlds and different experiences. But to, a, to the person, to the scholars, they can go on unearthing so many subtleties, which you know brings out you know, a, lit, a, a literator would see the beauty of the, the figures of speech or the, the way he handles. Uh, uh, concepts in the novel, the, a philosopher like me would uh, go very deep into the thoughts of philosophy. A social uh, reformer would look at the social reforms that he's thinking at. So there are two, uh, um, it is something, you know, where everybody can have a piece of the cake. Uh, what sort of, um, would you say there's an influence of religious uh, or Indic Hindu ideas in the novel? No, he, uh, Bharatiya was an omnist. So even in this novel, he brings out uh, aspects, no, uh, I mean, yes, primarily of Hinduism, primarily of the Indian society. He was more rooted with the, the Indian culture and the Tamil culture. So culturally, he is trying to present you know, the picture uh, for people to relate to easily. But under that, you no, know, he brings uh, the says and in some places he even makes mention of Jesus as a prophet, as one you know who was uh, known for his uh, uh, forbearance. So uh, it is okay. Uh, philosophically, yes, we can go on talking about. Yes, he is talking about Hinduism. He is talking about uh, uh, Vedanta. He is talking about our customs. But it, there is some universal thread also which is uh, stringing through the whole piece. So then you'd say in its original, it's not particularly for a religious or pious audience. Would you say that, would you say that it's intended to be uh, uh, literature primarily? Uh, yes, it, is a, it can be class, class literature or you can class it as a, a social piece, but there is something for everybody in it universally. And when I say universally, relevant to all times not just to the times that he wrote it. He wrote it at a time when India was struggling for its freedom, for its independence, and he was uh, very vociferous uh, in his uh, demand, uh, demand for freedom. And that also echoes here and there in, his, uh, in this novel. But what he said then is relevant even today, when we look at so many struggles that are going on in the world. Could you tell us a little bit about, uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll ask that next. Um, 
what are some of your favorite parts of the story? Uh, you know, either as, as a reader or, you know, you obviously fell in love with the story before you decided to translate it. So what, what speaks most to you? What did you most love about this tale, this novella? It is the, the beauty of the language, which is at once simple, but very profound, also, with a profound thought being conveyed through very simple sentences, very simple style. And there is so much of uh, everything comes to my mind. When I read, you know, portions in it, Keats comes to mind. Then there is, you know, Milton that comes to mind. And then there is, you know, the, uh, the politics of India, the political history of India that comes to mind. There's also uh, something, you know, which I could relate to because at the very, first, at the very uh, beginning, he says, how nice it would be if I uh, had a bath reading, you know, the Upanishad or uh, Shakuntalam and go all the way to Ariyar and return. Now, see, the, everything there relates to me. The very uh, opening, you know, was something which I could uh, connect to. The, oh, there's a thing, you know, talking about the Upanishads, which is, you know, is my, uh, as I say, my passion. And another thing is talking about going to Ariyar, which is, you know, the Ariyar library and the Rivers Center and everything. And so it triggers off a lot of memories, every word in it triggers of something uh, that everybody could really uh, connect to. So that, you know, making connection is something which is unique about Bharatiya. And second thing is, it's not just the language, but he tries to convey something much more to each person, saying that he is actually talking about in this whole thing, the taming of the mind which is uh, very, very subtly mentioned, um, subtly conveyed, taming of the mind. And in one place, he just say, uh, he, there is a voice that tells him, a spiritual voice that tells him, it's not possible for you to destroy your mind. And if you have to enter into this world of truth, you have to leave your mind behind and come here. So the, everything takes a personality as a personality of its own in this. And that is something with, uh, which really appealed to me. What was your process like translating text? Tell us a bit about that process. Um, this particular text, it, initially, I just had to understand what exactly he was trying to say. Initially, I just took it at the face value, just reading. And you know, but the more I went into it, the more info, the, the thing, uh, messages that were hidden in it were surfing up. And so I had to really attune myself to that underlying message while this uh, translation had to be done. So there, what I did was to go for a word-for-word -word translation to remain faithful to the text. Generally, I come across another translation day, uh, much after my writing this translation, I came across another translation, which was written many years ago by one Professor Mahadevan, and it was published by the Textbook uh, Corporation of Tamil Nadu. And uh, there I, I found that it was more, uh, I mean, he has resorted to paraphrasing in many places, rather than actually, you know, so there were Passages were that, that uh, seemed to have been left out in the translation, but I thought I should not leave out anything. And so the challenge was to keep the cultural sensibilities also 
intact while I was translating, which is difficult to know from one language to another because there are cultural differences also between when we translate from one to another. I'm intrigued, actually. Uh, why did uh, your, your your predecessor, I mean, your, your translation predecessor, why were certain passages omitted? It's not a particularly lengthy work. It's manageable. So so why were, were entire passages not translated? Uh, see, I, I don't know why, he, uh, why it was done so by that uh, professor. But um, one thing uh, that I come across in many of these translations, are uh, people tend to just take the general sense and... Uh, uh, not go into the particular uh, word. So there was this uh, linguist, American linguist, um, uh, uh, Eugene Nida, who has uh, said, uh, talked about what is this uh, uh, dynamic equivalence and formal equivalence. The dynamic equivalence is more of a sense to sense, sense for sense translation. And what I attempted is the word for word translation, which uh, uh, Nida terms as a formal equivalence. So I think that is what I have attempted. Uh, the formal equivalence in this uh, translation of this work. So then your translation is the only English translation which uh, conveys word to word what the Tamil is saying. Would you agree? Yes. Yes, I can say that very confidently about my work. And uh, one more thing is uh, um, the other, the Professor Narayan Mahadevan's uh, translation is obviously based on one uh, very easily available edition, whereas I have managed to go into so many other uh, edition, uh, not edition, but uh, he, um, Bardiar had published this work as a, he had started publishing it as a serial in the beginning, in a journal, and then it stopped after a few uh, episodes. But the prefaces and other descriptions he gives there are not repeated in the book. So I went through all that, put them together. So this book itself, this text itself, which I am presenting, would be a critically edited version of the text from so many sources that I could lay my hands on. And therefore, the translation also is based on the critical edition of the text. Fascinating. So in your view, who might most uh, who might most benefit from this um, um, in terms of certainly lay people interested in literature, but in terms of uh, fields of study, uh, who might most uh, benefit from looking at this translation? First of all, people who don't know Tamil but would like to see about it, and secondly, people who want to study Bharatiya, who want to know who this person is. They are certain to benefit. And almost all research scholars who want to get into the different facets of this, it offers enormous opportunities. There are too many aspects in it which can open out you know, avenues for research and a voluminous book in itself. So I think you know, too many people, and especially this translation is. Uh, uh, in the words of uh, this uh, Professor Indira Parthasar, who has given the foreword to this book, uh, it is it will definitely benefit the international readers. And it will Fantastic. take to the international arena is what Professor Indira Parthasar told me when he read the book, when he read my translation. Excellent. Is this... Um, 
is this work that you hope to develop at some point, or is this a figure that you will continue to research on, or have your interests changed for the next project? Uh, see, basically, I have been uh, so far into very serious works uh, uh, on Vedanta. This is the first one I uh, took up. A, a fiction is, uh, is, this is the first fiction I have taken up for translation. And I took it up, you know, because it is uh, the 100th death anniversary of Gosubarmane Bhargav. So it was my tribute to him. But what I uh, have to complete, because I've already taken up a two broad projects on, on Vedanta-related texts. So I would have to complete all of them. And I don't know if uh, something comes my way as intense as this and as interesting as this, I may take up another fiction or poetry for translation. But most of the works that I'm already doing in Vedanta are all poetic. They're all in verse form. So poetic, or uh, there could be even commentaries, which I'm translating. So um, this also happens to have a lot of Vedanta in it. So it was interesting for me to go, go along with it and do the translation. Was there anything else about the translation or the work itself that you hope we touch on today? Yes. Uh, one thing is, I would like to touch upon my contribution in this work. The thing is, especially I was very, very, con uh, very conscious of the cultural differences, the cultural uniqueness of, uh, of uh, our country, the, uh, India and the Tamilians, as well as how it uh, is conveyed to a non-Tamilian or a non-Indian. So I had to be very careful about how it is taken, especially the words. And there are so many uh, descriptions he gives to project our cultural and religious uh, uh, sentiments. For example, there are uh, what are the different types of sports and pastimes which are very unique to the Tamil culture and not known elsewhere. And there are also uh, the, the, the religious uh, sensibilities. And in one, in one, in one uh, portion, there is an overlapping of the Hindu religion and the cultural uh, Indian culture. For example, the Varnashrama Dharma, he handles it very, very carefully. And uh, I think very sensibly also. If I may, what happens, I mean, in one place, he just uh, goes to a, an ascetic, to a teacher, to a guru, and uh, he wants to know what is it to be a Brahmin. Now, that teacher starts explaining on the four Varnas. And then the uh, guru says, see, I am a Brahmin, but I train my children according to the needs of the time, the needs of the situation. He's, he chooses only one son in the brahmanical duties and the other sons towards uh, kshatriya to be a warrior or uh, to go and do uh, merchandise. He just says, it is necessary for a brahmin to know all these dharmas and teach them and you have to develop, produce such people as, as the society needs as in, uh, I mean, as the needs arise. For example, it says, if there is a need 
for more kshatriyas then you teach all the uh, kshatriya texts to them if there is a need for the vaidika duties then you teach you know, this to them so he says this is what you know a person a brahmin a brahmin teacher should know this is how he presents that we should know everything so it doesn't define you know a, a person can, uh, need not be a brahmin all the time he can be a, he become a kshatriya also and that is what i am seeing now uh, when you know we are looking at the world uh, situation in one of the one of the countries which is you know going through the aggression where i come to know that even the civilians are you know, carrying the rifles to protect their country so this is uh, this is the message that i say it's a universal work that he has written would you characterize him as progressive in some sense in his thinking he, he was very progressive for his times and even for today how progressive are you he was a brahmin by birth but i told you he is he was an almost and what he did was he uh he identified uh, a non brahmin boy i guess it could have been a dalit boy i don't know maybe a whatever kanakalingam was the boy's name and he performed the upanayanam for that boy he taught him all the vedas and made him uh, do the uh, vedic duties when it came to women empowerment he gave you know some kind of 10 commandments as to how you know at, uh, the women should be treated because in those days the women were always cloistered inside their houses so but he had and but there he was influenced by sister nivedita first because he himself was like that as a young man when he went to study he was also you know, a little uh, carried by the society of that time but once after his meeting sister nivedita she asked have uh, haven't you brought your wife along he said no we don't bring our women he said if half the country is going to remain indoors how would you expect you know this country to progress and uh, win its independence that was a trigger and then he went back and his wife was always his muse in everything his wife chalamal was his muse and so he he was known to take his wife openly into the public places with his arms wrapped around her or holding her hands and that was you know ridiculed by the traditionalists but he was very progressive even then so and when his daughter sangamal whenever the guests arrived at home he she was asked to bring water to wash their feet that was not the dumb thing that a girl comes out a young girl comes out and when you know it was time for her to get married he wanted her to choose her uh, match but uh, it was the elders and this, this one who said no let us you know, find the match and so he just relented but he was that progressive he was always progressive that way fascinating figure um just for my curiosity i don't know the subfield nearly as well obviously is he well studied are there is is he a fairly well studied figure he was he himself uh, had studied well and he is well studied by all today till today and i think for a long time he will be studied by all excellent okay well because he wrote he knew several languages several indian languages and foreign languages and he wrote 
in Tamil, English, French, and other languages. Uh, not only Tamil, in so many Indian languages, Bengali and other languages also is written. Clearly, uh, <laughs> clearly uh, a special individual. <laughs> yes, sir, but he didn't live too long. That's, uh, that, that is uh, one more unique uh, thing about him. And in a very short uh, lifespan, he has really uh, um, brought a huge uh, revolution in Indian writing. Reminds me of the Puranic tale of Mrikandu. Uh, he and his wife were looking for a child, and by appeasing Shiva, uh, Shiva yeah. said, Well, you can have a child, but either one who lives short <laughs> and is productive and wise, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or one who lives long and is a dullard oh, and a drunk. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. I yeah. suppose quality over quantity might apply even here. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Yeah. Pardon me? Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. For those of you listening, uh, we've been speaking with Dr. Radha Raghunathan uh, uh, on her uh, fantastic new uh, English translation uh, of an important work, the um, um, in the Wisdom Chariot, uh, sorry, Soaring with Bharati in the Wisdom Chariot. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep well, and uh, keep reading Tamil literature. Take care.